This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. My name is Kermit Johnston. Today I am here alone. Uh, and uh, we're going to start off the show with uh, talking about, you know, what we always talk about, what's happening outside, what's going on in the world. Um, and then the second half of the show, I think we'll take a break and we'll come back. And, and I think you're just going to have to stick with, with me on this one. Um, but today, before we start on anything, uh, we want to uh, let out a, a, a a very sad rest in peace to Olivia Newton-John, who had been fighting with breast cancer for 30 years. She was a big advocate of, of plant-based therapy. Um, you know, she really made it public and and did not decide to fight it on her own, which is very honorable of her, um, and utilized her experience in life to see if someone else um, can benefit from it. So we really want to um, say rest in peace to an icon, a legend, somebody who's graced the screen for for, for many decades, and uh, it's very sad when artists and and and, and entertainers pass away because it it sort of feels like it's a little bit of of yourself. And what I mean by that is most of these people are somewhat larger than life. You think about them in in moments and segments in your life. Um, they say that. Um, uh, you'll never love m- music the same way as when you were in college or um, just slightly after college and after that your taste kind of stops developing um, and so you have these these fond moments and memories um, of of when you were experiencing that art and for somebody who has been um, you know in things that we hold so closely to our hearts such as Greece um, and sing, and sings hopelessly devoted to you, which is one of those songs that just you know expands beyond time. Um, you know, you you can almost close your eyes and just think about where you were um, when you first heard that, or or what you experienced when you listened to that song, and you know, was it a therapeutic aspect to your life, and what that meant for you, and whenever these um, these entertainers who uh, dedicate and devote their lives to creating some of the better memories or at least some of the more meaningful ones, um, good or bad, uh, in your life, you almost just feel like, wow, oh, there's a chill that goes inside of you that says, wow, our legends are going away. And it's it's rough. It's a rough realization when you know that the legends, that you have these fond memories of uh, are just that. They're just memories now. So we, we do say, um, once again, rest in peace to Olivia Newton-John. Um, it is always hard to lose an artist. Uh, it's always hard to lose such a, a pillar in the, um, in the uh, entertainment community. Uh, so we want to thank her for everything she did. Um, today, let's start with uh, things that my mom calls me about. And uh, they, that would include this big old sweeping bill. That uh, that the Democrats passed just the other day. Seems like they were working on weekends. <laughs> when does that always happen? Uh, so this is going to be from CBS News. It says the Senate on Sunday passed Democrats' sweeping economic package designed to combat climate change, address health care costs, and raise taxes on lar- large corporations, marking a crucial achievement for President Biden and his party as they look to maintain their hold on Congress in the November midterm elections. The plan, called the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, cleared the upper chamber by a vote of 51 to 50. (laughs) That tells me something. Uh, With uh, President, Vice President Harris uh, providing the tie-breaking vote in the evenly divided Senate. So the Democrats used a fast-track legislative process known as uh, reconciliation to pass the measure in the face of unanimous opposition from Republicans. So uh, what I meant by that tells me something. Uh, on average, now I do know that the, those um, folks over there are, are cats and dogs. 
and they don't like to get along just about ever. But uh, when zero Republicans like something, it means that there's something inside of there that is not what you're presenting it to be. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm probably not. What's inside of this bill? (laughs) I think we'll we'll never really know. Um, You might feel it and you might not even know that it came from this thing. But, um, but yeah, inflation, inflation reduction. Hmm. So why are we, why are we experiencing inflation? Well, ultimately there's too much money in the, um, in the economy right now that doesn't account for the, the products and services that were developed in that time. So now everything costs more money. So the obvious way to fix inflation is to continue spending money. <laughs> ah, to continue spending money. So the thing that got us into inflation, we're just going to do more of that. And then we're going to we're going to fix inflation somehow. Well, all right. So uh, and then they said it's a sweeping victory. <laughs> OK, well, let's find out. So the the vote came after. Oh no, we already read that. All right. So GOP senators did manage to block a provision that would have capped the price of insulin at thirty five dollars a month for those who uh, covered under private uh, healthcare plans. The Democrats need sixty votes to waive reconciliation rules and keep that part of the bill, but it failed fifty seven to forty three with seven Republicans joining Democrats in support of the measure. That is what I mean when if something is that great, if something's super great. There's never going to be zero Republicans that that want to be a part of it. But when it's zero, you got to start looking at it like, okay, I know what you guys are telling me it is, but what actually is it? There's something in there that everybody's not okay with, uh, and and it can't just be that we just don't like you because you're a different, you wear a different color on your tie. Uh, So the House Democrats, House Democratic leaders announced last week the lower chamber will return from its month-long recess on Friday hmm, to pick up legislation, which is expected to pass. All right, so uh, another part of this thing will be uh, boosting clean energy. I always wonder about uh, climate change and how America is the only country that can uh, change that. Um, (laughs) It sounds like to me... Uh, we're going to make Teslas and, and solar panels uh, cheaper, maybe. Uh, but we should, we, you guys should go buy those things. That's what that sounds like. So let's, let's continue reading. It says, to boost clean energy. Ha, ah, there it is. The measure includes tax credits for buying electric vehicles. So the people that hate Elon, oops, he's going to be richer. And manufacturing solar panels and wind turbines. Um, it also provides rebates for consumers who buy energy-efficient appliances and provides uh, $4, uh, $4, $4 billion for drought relief. Uh, so Mr. Schumer is calling it the boldest climate package in U.S. history and called it a game-changer and a turning point. So, um, hmm. Well, you know, from where I'm sitting, I'm sure there's good things that are coming from this. Uh, the sneaky game that that these politicians like to play is uh, let's call it great, and let's also let's let's call three things great, and then let's sneak ninety things in there that we that we know you're gonna hate, but we're gonna put it in there because hey, we got these three things that are really great. Um, like I said, I don't really know the plan to save the planet. From the last I heard. Uh, uh, we had like 11 years before it's all over. So, hey, party. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's pretty much that. Um, so most likely they're going to spend a crap ton of money. Um on whatever it is that they think is important, um, Inflation Reduction Act. It, if you want to reduce some inflation, find a way for me to pay less in gas. And also, de-inflate my student loans. <laughs> ah, get rid of those things. You know, I thought we'd talk about this. You're doing all this other stuff. 
Listen, build building student loans back right back to the to the school. Okay, I don't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of money here, and that and I want to say like a day and a half later, uh, Biden uh, changed the rules of of the the PPP loan sheets. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So he's he signed a bill aimed at catching these pandemic loan cheats, as he likes to call them, people that fraudulently claimed um, that they owned businesses and they had these long list of, uh, of people on payroll. And they flat out stole the government's money. Yes, the same money that the government stole from us. <laughs> I mean, um, got from us. Uh, so before there was a two-year statute of limitation uh, on these PPP loans, and now there's a 10-year statute of, limita- uh, statute of limitation, which means that um, uh, everybody who was uh, claiming it was a pandemic outside, y'all better be careful for the next, who knows, if the 10-year started two years ago, if it starts this year, um, you might have eight to 10 years of looking over your shoulder for the damn government on your back. So I would say, please be careful. And y'all, just know the rules. They can take from us. You just can't take from them. Okay. Try not to cheat the system because the system always wins. It's like the house dealer always wins. All right. So, uh, moving on, there's something else that's hot. I noticed you guys are really, um, excited on our Instagram page, Mr. Alex Jones and his defamation case. So this is come from New York Times. It says the Infowars has already been found liable in lawsuits filed by the families of the Sandy Hook school shooting victims. A trial this week will determine will determine how much he owes them. So, uh, written by Daniel Victor, he says Alex Jones. The far-right conspiracy theorist who used his InfoWars media company to spread lies about the Sandy Hook school shooting has already been found liable for defaming the victim's families because I believe he said that he didn't think it actually happened. Um, This week, a trial was held to determine how much money he must pay them. Let's stop right here. Okay, there's a very popular saying, and I'll say it here. You can sue anybody for any amount at any time. That's right. That is a true statement. You can sue anybody for anything at any point in time. However, that doesn't mean that you are going to win. And what does that have to do with this? Well, in a lawsuit where there's money involved, you have to prove that you lost the money. So the family has to say, hey, because of the things that you did, we lost X amount of dollars. So in this case... um, they were looking for $45.2 million in punitive damages. The family of the Sandy Hook victims, they're looking for $45 million. Um, so Alex Jones' lawyers do have to prove that because of the things that he said, that family lost $45 million. Uh, So here's what he said. Mr. Jones said on his show and in his interviews that the attack in 2012 in which 20 first graders and six educators were killed was a hoax and that the family, uh, the victims families were actors. (laughs) Crazy. Just a few weeks after the shooting, he began calling it a false flag, a secretive plot planned by the government as a pretext for taking away American guns. Uh, What effect did his his statements have on the family? Well, the parents say Mr. Jones' lies have added to their devastation and his uh, followers have continued to harass them and threaten their safety nearly a decade since the shooting. Uh, Veronique De La Rosa, the mother of Noah Posner, the youngest victim, uh, said in an interview in 2018 that she had moved nearly 10 times since the shooting and lived in hiding. Each time the family moved, conspiracists would uh, rapidly publish the, the new home address. So there's there's a chance that, I don't know, you know, emotional distress or whatever um, could amount to her getting some money. I don't know if she's going to get $45 million. Uh, but, yeah, Buddy is in prison. So the, the crazy thing about being in this country and um, understanding the... Uh, one-liners that they tell you forever 
is that you have freedom of speech. And yes, Alex Jones does have the freedom to say whatever it is that he said. Now, that doesn't always mean that you're not going to uh, get reprimanded for the things that you say. Did he say something that is dumb? Yes, it's dumb. Did he say something that ignites people to go chase down these victims and their families? I don't know because I didn't. I don't watch Alex Jones. But the the difficult thing about this case is realizing well what does free speech mean? And if if now we will no longer have the opportunity to speak the craziness that y'all told us that we were allowed to say. The, the, the craziness that we have as a right, um, uh, as a person who lives in this country. So, it, it, it'll be a, a, a difficult case and it'll be a landmark case. because And unfortunately, because uh, this does have to deal with what we're allowed to say versus what our words uh, due to other people. Um, are we all now going to be suing people because somebody said something dumb? Are we all now going to be suing people because somebody said something we disagree with? There's a lot of people out there who say that the Holocaust never happens. Are we going to sue them? You know, so there. this is going to be a landmark case for that. Um, and understanding, are we, allow, are we truly allowed to just ramble out of the side of our neck? Or, uh, or... Do we have to be in line with how people feel we should be? And that, that's the importance of this case. That's the importance of this case. Not so much what he said, but what is going to happen because of what he said. Um, it, it is bizarre. <laughs> the whole case is bizarre. The whole thing is weird. Um, and it's unfortunate that the weird things are the the ones that decide what is moving forward and what is not. But in all cases that move society forward, we have to uh, review the extreme of that case. So uh, in any situation, uh, uh, somebody's pitter-patter will not significantly change the situation that we're in. Somebody has to jump off of a building uh, um, land on a tiny trampoline and do a flip and land on a fingernail for people to say, oh, well, what's going on over there? It has to be this this crazy extreme thing. And sometimes it's stupid, crazy extreme things, but it has to be in order for this to uh, um, uh, cast an, a net and umbrella uh, for everybody. So do I think he has a chance at winning? Yeah, he probably has a good chance. Uh but if he doesn't, what does that mean for people who are deciding to open their mouths and put this stuff on the internet? Um, it, it could end up being a, a scary moment in time when your opinion, whether they're crazy or not, your thoughts, whether they're wild or not, uh, are going to be used in a lawsuit against you. Now, if you're admitting to criminal activity, that's a whole different thing. But just having a, a conspiracy theory um, is that that makes things rough because half the internet is is cat videos and the other half is, is conspiracy. So uh, best of luck to that dude. <laughs> uh, last one on this. So the FBI runs into Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida. Uh, this guy's pissed. But, but I'm looking at it on the other side. They broke into the man's safe. Everybody's happy about it. I get it. I kind of wonder why. I, I, I have to wonder why. I mean, it's obvious that Donald Trump isn't <laughs> smuggling drugs or anything. It's, I, it's clear that that's not what he's doing. So, uh, so I think that there is a legitimate fear that that the government or at least folks in certain parts of the government have of this man where they are 
probably so scared that whatever is happening on that January 6th thing is not going to pan out the way that they wanted to, that they have to try and find something else because, oh, the engine is a rumbling and the car is ready to start rolling. We are very close. In in two blinks, we're going to be at the end of this year. And then next year is going to be the 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 year that Biden will probably do a good amount of his work and then the fourth year will be focused on re-election. So re-election is is almost here. Believe it or not, it it's coming and it's coming fast. So I think that they they really do think that this guy um wants to run again and they don't uh they don't even want to put that up as a possibility. Obviously to me the things that people, we the people, don't like about Trump is not what everybody's scared of. At least up there. What we're scared of is not what they're scared of. Because we've seen all kinds of doofus presidents. We've seen all kinds. We've seen all kinds. And they've all done random things that we don't and or do agree with. You know, uh, back in the day when Ronald Reagan was president, cut all these taxes, got all these rich people even richer. Um, you know, it's not to say that that was his plan, but uh, uh, but then but then Bill Clinton came in and and he cut a lot of social spending. Nobody ever talks about that. Cut a lot of social spending. Everybody had to go to work. Boom, economic growth um, and list a bunch of poor people out of poverty. And and both of those guys don't get the bad. <laughs> The both of those guys don't get the bad rep. Oh wait, I forgot. Bill Clinton had a whole scandal. Yeah, he had a whole scandal, and uh, none of these guys get the bad rep that this this guy gets. So there has to be something that everybody up there agrees with, and uh, and Trump probably doesn't, uh, and or is okay with busting out busting that door down. And and they are more scared of of that whatever that is, um, than than whatever it is that we're scared of because everybody has a different reason for why they don't like Trump. They may not like his attitude. Very very few people say they don't like his policies because I'm I'm sure not too many people are aware of them. But uh, you know mainly just him. And but but there has to be something way deeper than that for all of this to be happening. And I, and I just really wish I could find out what it is, you know, because on a on a on a policy side, a lot of a lot of his policies are just not things that that other people did not do. Uh he did a lot of things that a, a a myriad of other presidents did. Some of them was good, some of them not so good, some of them you know stuff in the middle. So there has to be something deeper than his actual policies because you know they claimed all type of things Hitler and and all this stuff and you know he did a full term and just about none of the things that they claimed at least on the extreme side happened so uh that just leads me to believe a that our the system is definitely created in a way where um uh um those those crazy you know communist theories and 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 ideals are not going to take over but at the same time um, um, you know there is a there's an imminent threat there that we have to really truthfully pay attention to and again I just don't know what it is and I wish I did but to be uh, all up in his um, <laughs> his Mar-a-Lago house or resort it's pretty nuts um, they are they're they they are trying to get this guy or at least they're trying to figure it out they're trying to find something um, I remember um, hearing this story of, of a president I won't name um, who, who used to tax companies to death um, if they just did not like, if that president just did not like your company. Um, and, you, and, you know, you, he militarized the IRS and just jump in there and, and do all these kinds of audits and things like that and, and just run a company to the ground, especially if they said something about him that, that he didn't like or whatever, you know, of course, of course that stuff never really gets played out, uh, in, in, in the public, but it happened. Um, so that's, 
that's that. Good luck to everybody who's over there. We're, we're just going to be right here. We'll watch. I'll see it on the shade room. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pay attention there, and, I, and I'll just leave that right there. Um, another thing, the, uh, the Ahmad Arbery case. Doop, doop. So those guys, uh, the guys who killed Ahmad Arbery, uh, they get another life sentence today. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So the Amara Arbery case, uh, the father and son sentenced to life in prison, and uh, the neighbor gets 35 years for federal hate crime. Um, I think one of the guys, Greg McMichael, is going to do two life sentences. It's pretty crazy. Um, you know, I, I saw this story kind of floating around, but at the same time, I saw it just kind of was like, oh, cool, and then moved on. This, this just reminds you that... Um, you know, you, you, you have to scream the victories out or else you'll think that they're, they're, they never happen. You have to, you know. Um, um, there's somebody out there who just thinks that, that, that these men committed the crime and then they went home and are eating Pinkberry. And you, and you have to express that these things are important. They're happening and, uh, and, and these guys are going away. They're going away forever. Um, so I just want to highlight it here on the show today. Um, Travis McMichael sentenced to life over federal hate crimes in the killing of a 25 year old black man named Ahmaud Arbery. So there's that. All right. What else do we have? That might be it for all the, (laughs) that might be it for all of the, uh, real sad stuff. AK politics. Um, yeah, that might be it. All right, let's go on to music. I'm not going to make this too long. DJ Khaled dropped a song uh, with Drake and Lil Baby. You you can't imagine you can't imagine the downfall of a person as as majestically as DJ Khaled because this song that he put out where they're featuring the Bee Gees is so incredibly bad. It's 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 difficult to believe that a person who says they do this thing professionally put this uh, put this song out. It's real terrible. It really is. So I'm having a difficult time understanding why I can't get this song out of my mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ah, yeah, there's that effect. Um, There is that effect. But yeah, you know, they they sampled the ah, 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 staying alive. They they, they sampled that, or at least they interpolate it. DJ Khaled puts it out. It's a very, very weak drop. Um, And I think for DJ Khaled, he has to start listening to the people once again um when you're in that position of commercialized art and that and all art is commercialized because people are, are purchasing it but when it's done at this mass scale you have to start listening to the people and what they want um you are clearly not making music because you love it you're you're you might enjoy it you might love the process you might like the lifestyle that comes along with it, but you're making it just so that you can get recognized, you can receive accolades for being who you are. And when you stop listening to the demands of the people who are the ones who gave you your career in the first place, uh, you take a very, very, very sad walk down to uh, um, the bottom. You take that long walk down to the bottom. So it's it's awful to hear. This is just awful. It's awful. And I like Drake. I like the last album. I'm one of those. I'm one of the seven people that really like that album. Um, honestly, never mind. But this song, honestly, never mind. Um, on to other things that are sold to us. Uh, I saw Nope. Um, so I came in here to tell you guys that Nope was not good. But... Uh, I'm actually not here to tell you that it's trash. Yeah. Uh, I watched it. I 
I in the moment I thought it was interesting, but the more I thought about it and the 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 more that I like, like thought about the story and just like why did I watch it? It's just not good. You know, it, it it's not about anything, just about and the things that it is about, you don't you don't really get an explanation. Uh it's just stuff on a screen that with sounds. That's exactly what it is. It's stuff on a screen with sounds. And and you're expected to leave the theater or wherever you're stealing this. Uh, you're expected to leave it going like, oh my gosh. And that's it. Because you can't really say anything. You know, you can't say like this was great or it entertained me or something. You can't really say anything. And when you have these stories that are so um, um, dependent on um, uh, storyline, story-driven dialogue and these sequences that, you know, make you think that something is amongst us, something is deeper than what it seems. You're telling us the name of the horses, but for what purpose? Like, why? You know? And uh, I, I have an issue with those kind of movies where we're just complimenting and accepting just crap and just taking it because somebody with a name that we respect gave it to us and we got to stop doing that okay i really don't want to see uh jordan peele um hit the Khaled heights and then ultimately just make movies just because he has a name and he can do that let's not do that okay you're too talented of a guy to just put out an idea that seems like it started off as a short film and then you were like oh i need 65 more minutes of this so you just kind of threw stuff together let's not do that okay nope not good um elvis meh, somewhere in the middle um, I really enjoy Elvis, the artist. Uh, I grew up listening to Elvis. The movie is just one long montage, and that's not fun. Um, you know, it's it's such a montage that it's almost hard to hear what people are saying because there's, like, nonstop music and camera movement uh, throughout the entire thing. So, you know, when you watch a movie, like, the first four minutes is a montage that's leading up to this to the development of the film, the whole movie is just the montage at the beginning. That's the whole movie. <laughs> so that that's no fun. Um, so it, it's fine. At least there was a story. You know, at least you kind of could follow it for whatever it is that you could hear. It was very obvious that they were trying to make sure that no one hated Elvis by the time he left the theater by saying, look, he grew up with black people. Got it. We got it. Understood. I didn't hate him at first. I know a lot of people that do that, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hate him. Uh, Watch the Gray Man. Uh, the Gray Man uh, Netflix crap. Uh, it was fine. It was okay. You know, there's nothing in there that's like uh, particularly good. Nothing in there that's like really horrible. It's just that. You know, the story uh, kind of means nothing. Um, you have the main character. Uh, who receives some intel, some information about his leadership or bosses or whatever, and they're terrible. Uh, you never find out exactly why they're terrible, but I guess they're willing to blow up pretty much entire cities to make sure you don't find out. Um, and then in the end, uh, you you don't even realize, like, oh, well, what are you going to do now? I don't know. We're just going to drive off of, off of camera, out of the frame. That's what we're going to do. That's the movie. Uh, pass. It's it, it's it's a fun watch. Um, uh, Russo's, please put the drone down. That was every drone shot. I really pretty much hated, uh, but it's something that you could just watch. You know, when you just don't want to do things, you just turn it on. It's fine. Uh, what else? What else? I think that's it on my movies. Okay, and that might be. That might be it for this for this side. This has been more entertaining to me than it probably is for you guys, but I'm I'm really I'm really uh, enjoying this. And uh, yeah, that's that. All right, we're gonna take a break and then we'll come back. All right, welcome back to the show. I want to talk to you guys about something that I have a hard time forgetting. Maybe about 11 years ago, uh, 10, or, 10, or, 10 or 11 years ago, I met this lady who, um, who was very successful, um, uh, partner at a law firm, uh, 
made it made a, a grip of money. I mean, just money you'll never, you know, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't you imagine to make. And of course, I was in my early twenties when I met her, and there was this period of time when a bunch of lawyers would come up to me and kind of cry and tell me that they hate their lives and da da da. da. Um, but but this one is the one that really stuck with me. So she came and she sat next to me, it's Asian, older Asian lady. And uh, she's asked me questions about my life and what I, what I wanted to do. And I was very passionate about the way I spoke of, of wanting to be, um, you know, the, the industry's artistic businessman. You know, I, I really wanted to develop a career making films, making, making projects. And, um, and, you know, my goal one day was to own a network. And um, each and every day I was chipping away at that and just doing my best to be, you know, doing my best to be my best. She would see me, you know, at, at work on my breaks, writing and reading. And, um, and and I took that job. It was in the perfect location. So I took it as a as an opportunity to network. And even to this day, to this very day, 10 plus years later, I receive opportunities in life from working at that one place where I was making $8 an hour or so, eight twenty-five, I think. And, and she just, in that conversation, she had just burst out in tears. And I remember her just putting her head on my shoulder. I had a really nice iron t-shirt on, just wet the whole side of my shoulder up. And she told me about how much she hated her life. And she had just become partner. She was making $300,000 a year. And chances are the average person would believe that this is the life that you want to live. But she didn't have an idea of what she wanted to do in life. She had just kind of taken it as it came to her. Hey, you you told me to work hard. I worked hard. My parents told me to be this. I became that. And listening to my story, it really impacted her because she said, you are making this decision. Whether whether you've made it or not, you know, whether you are where you want to be or not, at least every single day you are chipping away at, where, at the person that you want to become. And for her, that was difficult information to hear, difficult to digest, because she had just landed somewhere. And when you just land somewhere, sometimes it, thinks like, it feels like something landed on you. Because you're not able to make the decision to decipher what is happening today, tomorrow, or the day after. At that same job, I remember um, a director came in, and he had just done a huge Hollywood movie. Um, I kind of knew who he was only because he used to come in there pretty often. So I had a comfortable enough relationship to say, hey, look, how did you decide that you wanted to be a director? And how did you convince people that, that's, that you are who you say you are? And... I remember at the at this store that I worked at, it was a very small shipping place, but we had a bunch of these little quirky items. He went around and grabbed the book, opened the book. It was almost like he knew I was going to ask this question. And the book, I took a picture of it. I think I posted it on my Instagram back in those days. And I said, and it said, if Instagram was a thing. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, and it said... Uh, Whatever it is that you say you are, tell people you do it and uh, and how much you charge. That's what it said. And he turned around and he said, look, whenever you look around on set, there's one director on average. There's hundreds of people that work on a project. Hundreds. There's X amount of actors, so many people on crew. Just the list of of people is very, very long. But there's one director. That means it's a a place that a lot of people are trying to get to. And either they don't know how, they don't know the right people, or they don't have um, uh, the determination to get there. Or maybe they just don't have the cards in life dealt to them. But oftentimes you do. You have those cards dealt to you, but you just don't know how to play them. So I remember him telling me, look, what I did was I went somewhere and it was the room with the right people in it. And when they asked you what you do, you tell them. And it was really that simple. It was really that simple. He just told them. 
hey, I'm a director, and I charge this much. And he kind of just shut his mouth, and he just kept it pushing. And it's funny how life works that way. I'm a huge person on believing in your purpose, understanding why you're here. During COVID, at least during the quarantine, I decided that I was going to play this game with myself of really falling into self-actualization and just realizing and understanding why I'm here. I think some of the most difficult uh, parts of life is uh, when you're just floating and and life doesn't and life happens to you and you don't happen to life. So I remember um, waking up one day and just realizing how much I wanted to serve other people. And it's not to serve them at a restaurant or serve them that way, but I just wanted to run by people and and leave a footprint that said that your life has been touched, positively impacted in some way by this guy. I really just want to be a person of value to, to the lives of people. Now, my talent may be... Um, um, making videos or, or managing people that make videos or something like that. That just might be my talent. That just might be what I'm good at. But how do I take that and I make this something valuable that impacts the world around me? Now, ever since I've decided that I wanted to be of service to others, all of a sudden doors have been open. It's not so much about thinking about your role because that's the destination. The journey has to be why. The why behind life. And oftentimes you ask people, why do you feel the way that you feel about life? And they can't tell you. I come to realize that there's there's a reason why people can't tell you. And the number one reason is because you have thoughts in your head that have never, ever seen the day the the uh the the time of day they've never been able to surface beyond the swirl of ideas clustering around your thoughts so i i put practice um into this idea and i wrote everything down that i i i thought of and i believed in and then instead of just writing it down i took a moment to review this list and say, oh, wow, look at all these thoughts that I had. Look at all these thoughts that I have. Now I need to make meaning of them. So I went out and, and did research about all these thoughts, and I looked it up, and, and I said, wow, some of these thoughts I really want to dive deeper into, and then there's other ones that I'm not really that interested in for many different reasons. So once I was able to write these thoughts down and then do some, some work to develop um, why I had these thoughts, why um, I might be interested in them, and, and maybe the journey is worth going on. Uh, life changed dramatically. Before COVID, I used to always say, if I could just get two months to sit down and just be in my thoughts, life will change. And I don't know where I got it, where I got that from, but I got it. In COVID, I had more than two months to sit around and just figure out who I am, why I'm here, and what I'm doing. And there's a couple of key points that come about um, of uh, realizing the value of life and what you can do in life and what you could do in the lives of others. Number one is you are what you think you are. Meaning you are what you believe you are. On average, the things that you believe in are the things that you think about every day. And you're going to become the sum of that. So going around thinking negatively about yourself, about your environment. Uh, and this is not going to be a think positive speech. Uh, but there is uh, value in finding the positivity in even the most negative circumstances, which what we would call the silver lining. Not every circumstance is great, but in many negative scenarios, something good can come from it. And it's that 
exercise of retooling your mind to develop the ability to look at something and extract something positive from it. So you ultimately are what you think about. If you continuously poison yourself with thoughts of, I'm not good enough, I can't, I won't, I can never, then you will never, you won't ever. The next thing is remembering that you are allowed to imagine. I saw something the other day that showed the arm of an elderly person. They said that older folks, their muscles don't just go away. They don't just get smaller. Their muscles um, just get smaller if you just stop using it. There are some old folks that you see at the gym that are very muscular and look very good. Uh, And then there's some elderly people who you wonder, like, has your arm always been that small? (laughs) Well... I bring this up because uh, if you if you don't use your muscle, you lose it. And that's the same thing that happens with your sense of imagination. If you don't imagine a world where you are not where you are right now, where you are greater than the greatest version of yourself today, then you're eventually going to lose the ability to do that. No matter what you accomplish in life, there has to be something else. There has to be another goal. And you almost have to be hungry at all times for that next version of yourself. In an interview with um, Nori, uh, Patti LaBelle said at her ripe age, I won't say her age, but at her age, she is nowhere near done. That she has milestones ahead of her. And that's the mentality that a winner has to have. Because if they think that all my greatness is all behind me, that's exactly what's going to happen. You will never progress. You won't ever grow. So remind yourself to be imaginative. Keep asking yourself, well, well, what if? I know for some people who start a really good job, that's where they want to land. That's where they have landed. Well, ask yourself, what if? I won't give you the other half of that because that's your story. But that what if is a game that allows you to wake up every single day and know that you chipped away at your goal just a little bit more, just a little deeper than the day before. It gives you that sense of why. For some people, they don't receive, they don't receive their why until they have kids or they have a family. Then they understand, well, I did this for my kids. I did this for them. But before you reach that point, you have to understand yourself. Why did I do this for me is very powerful. So remember that. Next, it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. You know, I started saying last year, everything that scares me, I'll do. Now, that doesn't mean everything that hurts me, I'll do. But I started saying that everything that scares me, I'll do it. You know, before, I used to be very, very scared of risk. Some years ago, I got offered an opportunity. And I had $7,000 to my name. The opportunity demanded that I I give them $5,000. I was very, very scared of doing it. And I said, I don't know about this. this you know, I would only have $2,000 left. Now, at that time, um, at that time, having $2,000 would have been totally fine. I, I would not have, you know, I, I would still eat. And life was actually pretty cheap. But I was very scared because I knew, well, I worked so hard for this money. And, and I don't want to lose it and things like that. And, and the opportunity said, hey, look, if you give us $5,000, we will give you $25,000. If you give us $10,000, we will give you fifty. So long as this works. They gave me all their plans, their schematics for everything. And it seemed like a very, very good plan. But as the day came for me to make my decision, I said, eh, nah, I'm going to pass on it. And I thought I would never look back. 
But about six months later, I got a, a call, and the person who offered me the opportunity told me, hey, look, I know I told you if you gave me five, I'd give you back 25. But we actually flipped the project for way more than we thought. So if you had given us five, we would have given you close to 60. And that was the lesson that I took on. You know what? I saw that plan. It wasn't a bad plan at all. The, the level of risk was actually pretty low. I just didn't have the courage to do it. I just didn't have the courage. So there are some days, every day, you need to take, not you need to, but in order to find fulfillment in life, there has to be a level of courage that's exuded from your skin, exuded from your pores, that says, hey, look, that scares me a little bit, but I'm going to put a little effort into this because you just don't know where it's going to land. The world today is developed from people who have insurmountable amounts of courage. Things that happened in the early 1800s into the 1900s still develop our world today. There is a, an interview um, that happened recently with Chance the Rapper who just went to Ghana and learned um, about uh, the history of Ghana and how much the education of the liberalization of black people in the United States directly impacted the liberation of Ghana as a nation. And that's only because one person said, hey, this story is something we have to tell. What we're doing here is something that can impact the world, and it did. Ghana was liberated because somebody had the courage to learn something beyond what they were used to and then taking it and applying it to where they felt it was necessary. Courage is that important. Next, the idea of management. Time management, money management. Anything that you earn shouldn't completely be blown away. 10% of your life should be accounted for for the future. Now, this is not financial advice, but it's a piece of developing yourself on, on what you think you want to be. And oftentimes when I get asked from people who want to come to Hollywood, who want to, who want to pursue their dreams, I say, look, the number one thing that you need is time. And believe it or not, time costs. So if you always have to go to your day job, if you always have to go to your night job, I remember having to go to my day job. And if I took one, yes, one day off, I wasn't able to pay rent. So if, you, if you're barred down financially because you didn't put some away for the future, you'll never have the time or the energy to do both. You need to protect yourself in a financial state, st standpoint in order for you to move forward in an emotional and uh, um, a spiritual standpoint. If there's something you really want to do, you better make sure that everything is home is taken, at home is taken care of. So allowing yourself to save 10, maybe even more if you have it, 10% of whatever it is that you earn, put it aside for the future because that idea of knowing that your better self is on the way requires you to sometimes need time to develop, to think, to maybe just get away for a while. Lastly, everything that you want in life requires action. So if you think about a ship, a ship is going in, in a direction and they know where they want to go. A cruise line knows that they're going to go from one country to the next, from one port to the next, and then they go back home. So this is where that plan comes in of just remembering who you want to be. If you think about a ship that has no direction, how will they even leave the port? They don't even know where they're going. So in order to apply action to life, you need to have actionable items that direct your trip, that direct your journey. And because you did such a good job at saving at least a portion of what you earned, you never know what will come on this journey 
you will be self-insured. You'll be protected from all, if not most, occurrences that happen in life. Because you had the courage to develop this plan, you now have the courage to step out and proceed with the action of whatever it is that you put your foot forward to. And reminder, just a reminder, if you didn't imagine it, if you didn't think about it, if you didn't allow yourself to actualize it and use that imaginative muscle, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even have the ship in the first place. Some people say, if you want to realize something, the first thing you should do is write it down. The next thing you should do is read it. Some people these days practice um, um, affirmations. Every day they look at this, themselves in the mirror and they say what it is that they want to feel about themselves, what it is that they want others to feel about them, what it is that they want to do that day, what, they, what it is that they want to do that year. But in this case, write it down and read it every morning and every night. Allow it to, to consume who you are. Do that for 30 days. And then contemplate. Let it sink inside of your body that what you want to do is what you're going to do. But do so in a cheerful, relaxed, and a positive way. Then you know what goal you have will be yours. If you let something sink inside of your soul long enough, it becomes who you are. During those 30 days, stop thinking about the fear. Tear apart the fear of, well, what if? Why can't? Well, because. Strip that fear away every single day. You're telling yourself all of these, this goal, all of this one goal that you want to accomplish, you're telling yourself with ultimate confidence. I can do this. I will. Those words of affirmation of can and will will strip away that sense of fear like that over those 30 days. On the other side of the card, write the passages that you might hear. There's something that I, that I think is, is powerful, and it's from, it's from the Bible, the good old Bible. It says, Mark 9, verse 23, And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst, Believe all things are possible to him that believeth. Even the Bible talks about how powerful the mind is. If you believe, you can do it. You can do it. Hmm. So write it down. And on that other side, write that. Hey, if I believe it, I can do it. The last thing is, remember that the destination is not your goal. The journey is. Here's why the journey is so important. Because it allows you to fail. Failure is so intrinsically important. The reason why it is, is because you will never, ever learn how to jump over a hurdle if you never had to jump over a hurdle. Learning exactly what to do when things blow up in your face, when they fail, when they break down on you, learning how to do that will set you up for the final destination. Believe it or not, the destination is just a bunch of hurdles that you are so highly prepared to overcome. They're just really a part of the journey. They're a part of what you wanted so badly. So do not... Do not get rid of the journey. The goal is not to become rich. It's to affect people so positively and so greatly that in return, that in return, you receive a financial blessing. You know, they say that if you choose to do something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Now, the truth about that is that doesn't apply in a financial sense. It doesn't always. What that means is if you find a way to become the best person that you can possibly be within your space and you can affect people effectively, then yes, you won't have to worry about the financial outcome. But you will have to during the, the journey. During that journey, you will be tried with everything. 
But if you remember what your goal is, and if you remember that you are just one hurdle away, everything will be okay. Trials, tribulations, all those things will just be a reminder, a constant reminder that if I don't learn this now, I won't be prepared for the future. I bring this up because I truthfully believe that in our day and age today, we march without purpose. A lot of people march without purpose. And it leads to a very scary world because people are always jumping. They're jumping, hopefully, hoping that they can reach their final destination without having to endure the journey. But if you remember your purpose, if you remember that you're here to develop great relationships with other people, to be impactful, to be powerful, to be empowering to others, you will receive that blessing in return tenfold.